Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Moves Podcast, where we talk about how to develop happy, healthy, resilient children into happy, healthy, resilient adults. I'm your host, Dr. Debbie Ray. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second season of the Right Moves Podcast. I have Summer Bellany with me today to kick off the first episode of this new season. She and I have known each other for a few years now through her social media group, Texans for Recess, IPA USA, which stands for International Play Association in the United States, and Recess Advocacy Committee work together. I believe in synchronicity, which means it's no coincidence that we have been drawn together in our efforts to make the world a better place for all of us. I am so excited to have Summer on this podcast to share her views on why play is important for kids and adults and why advocacy work is important for all of us to get involved in if possible. Summer Bellany, a former teacher with experience in elementary and middle school education, is passionate about getting kids outside as much as possible. No difference for me as well. She taught in both public and private schools in California and Louisiana before relocating to Texas, where she managed a community engagement website for families. Summer's advocacy for increased access to recess in Midlands Elementary Schools led to her involvement with SHAC, which stands for Student Health Advisory Council, and a recommendation for policy change in recess. She kept the community informed and shared resources with her social media group, Texans for Recess. Although the recommended policy wasn't officially adopted, her efforts resulted in 24 out of 26 elementary schools in Midland increasing their recess time. With a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in education specializing in educational leadership, Summer's research focused on teachers' beliefs, values, and attitudes towards elementary recess. She's married, has been for 23 years, mother of two boys, She and her husband continue to prioritize and nurture their family's love for the outdoors and value of childhood instructed play. I welcome now Summer Bellany to this podcast. Well, good afternoon, Summer. It's so good to be with you today. Um, You know, you and I have gone in different circles, but always been part of the same circle. So thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is exciting. Oh, very exciting. I, I just love the work that you do. And, um, you know, you're doing it in very positive ways everywhere you go. So it, it's awesome. You know, every time I start a podcast, especially with a new person on, I love to have them talk a little bit about themselves, but not from the bio. So something that tells the audience who you really are behind the scenes, right? So um, if you could share with us one or two things that uh, would help the audience know a little bit about you that's not in the bio, that would be awesome. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I think I have kind of a, a, this public face that a lot of people know around play and recess. Um, I think something that I would say most people don't know, maybe a few kids that I grew up with when I was younger is um, I kind of look back and I wonder why am I here and why is this conversation even important to me? And when I really dig deep, you know, it it brings me back to when I was younger in elementary school. I actually grew up very, very poor. Our family didn't have a lot of money. I would say our family hardly had any money. And some of my fondest childhood memories is playing at a creek that was nearby um, our neighborhood. And a lot of the neighborhood 
kids would go back to the creek and we would catch frogs and we would catch tadpoles and there was a, a tree swing, kind of a rope that the kids would play on. And um, I think that's probably, I, I don't think about it that often, but if I, if I had to kind of try to figure out where's my drive in this conversation, it's because I had, you know, very little growing up, but yet I have such amazing memories with the kids in our neighborhood of, I was on the BMX bike and I, you know, I didn't have gears on my bike. It was probably a hand-me-down bike given to me from some, who knows who, you know, some other kid in the neighborhood. And I was always out trying to hang with the kids and push myself and keep up with the boys on who could do the highest jumps. And, and so I have some really great memories um, of that, of that time in my life. And, and when I think about it, you know, it probably created a part of who I am and, and my drive to not only to, you know, build those memories with other people, but it was a big kind of social emotional uh, support for me that I didn't even know that I needed. So yeah, really, really fun memories. So that's a, something not many people probably besides my husband and a few people know about me. <laughs> no, that is awesome. And it, it brings up something to me that I realized when I started pushing for recess in schools more often, I realized that it really tore down barriers between children mm -hmm. when they would decide that they weren't coming in their designer shoes, designer shirts, designer shorts anymore. Mm -hmm. They were going to come to school to play and get dirty. Mm -hmm. And their parents were that way too. It's like, I'm not sending you in these expensive clothes anymore. <laughs> if you're going to come home with mud all over you. Right. Right. And I realized just like you experienced play brings down those barriers mm -hmm. that come between us socioeconomically with diverse needs. I mean, all of a sudden it's like we're on this even playing field, right? Did you feel yeah, that way? Absolutely. And I think it brings in the conversation too around um, what, so, you know, I didn't realize that at the time, but now there's all of these research words out there and kind of the multi-age play. Um, and I think that 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 was a big component because we had I think at the time I recall I was probably on the younger end of the spectrum, but I was playing with kids, you know, all over kind of the the K-5, right? Whoever could play, everybody would just meet out and play. And we would play marbles in the dirt. I remember that there was a family whose dad, I honestly don't even know, remember all the details. Somebody's dad figured out how they could make resin marbles and these oh, big wow. giant ones. And somehow I got one and I remember I would take them to school and we would play marbles and I would feel so, so excited because I had a big marble. So I knew I was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, it was, it was fun. And boys and girls of all ages. And, you know, we just, we weren't inside playing video games or watching TV. We no, and the, no. And the skills that you developed by being out there mm -hmm. with different ages and different things that you were playing with really built all that coordination and movement, motor skill patterns. I mean, it, it developmentally, you probably were ahead of the game, you know, on everything that you were doing. I, I'm from the same era where I, uh, well, I'm older by far, but, um, but still play was such an essential piece and it didn't matter where we came from. You know, we walked to school and I, I don't know mm -hmm. if you walked to school also. I did. We, <laughs> you know, we were two miles away yep. and it, it, it was like everybody knew 
and I don't even remember the time, but let's say everybody knew that at 7.15 in the morning, we all converged on the path, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. we, like they call uh, walking buses now. Walking you know? school, but yeah, see, no. there's words for all of this now. I know. <laughs> but back then, you just walked to school, right? right. It was just, and everybody <laughs> picked up with each other. And then you knew in the afternoons, you had your ice cream truck coming by, you know, and you right. eat your ice cream or your popsicles <laughs> on the way home. But the play was so important and mm-hmm. we we're losing that in what we do. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So let, let's talk about your journey some more because that journey started with such a, an important aspect of your life and the fact that, um, you didn't have a lot, but you found richness in the ability to be out and playing with others. Right. Mm-hmm. So take it from there and let's talk about the journey that you've had, um, throughout your life and, where it's taken you, you know, what are these nuggets that you have? Yeah. Well, this is kind of fun because I don't really get a chance to talk about this um, much at all. So it's, it's a fun opportunity. So thank you. Um, You know, I think probably if I had to sort of pick up on, on where we started there for me, school was always such an important component. Um, I always found such not only great fun and playing at recess and friends, but you know, school was kind of just a safe place for me. And so I think that that is in hindsight, again, if I had to reflect on this, um, a big part of why I went into education. Um, I didn't know it at the time. Actually in college, I knew some, some of the girls in my dorm or on campus who were education majors and I was a political science major. I actually started out as a business major and then I did terrible in accounting and I knew that (laughs) business was not for me. Um, And and so I switched over to political science and I was, you know, really excited about, I don't know, a couple of things that were going on then. And and so I thought, well, sure, I'll give this political science world a stab. I I didn't know anything about political science, but I knew I needed to pick a major. (laughs) Um, But I always had teaching in the back of my mind but for some reason, I thought I wanted to do something different. And so, so I, I did. And fast forward, after I was a political science major, not knowing that I didn't want to go to law school or be a history <laughs> teacher, um, I actually ended up going into event planning and fundraising, which was kind of a, a, a one-off um, at a university up in the Bay Area. I worked at Stanford at their business school for a while. And so I found myself right back in an educational institution. And, and pretty much every position or job that I've had is in an educational role in some capacity. And when I think about that, I, I think it's probably an unconscious feeling of safety and that this is where I feel comfortable. And I think that because I had such a fantastic educational experience, I, I want to come back to that and I want to give that to, to all kids because I know how important school is. My, my own personal schooling was all in public education. Um, fast forward, I have two children and they were a private school in Louisiana for a while, um, but by and large, they've been in public schools as well. And I have a really strong kind of moral principle that I want to ensure that, you know, public schools, you know, private schools too, but I think for me, for sure that public schools have the resources that they need, the most well-trained teachers, 
um, and have every opportunity to give kids the best experience that they can. All kids, right? Not just kids like me, not just kids who grew up with little, but even kids who grew up with, with much, they all deserve to have great experiences um, with great well-trained teachers, well-resourced schools, all of that. So I think um, that's probably if I had to dig, dig into my own uh, reflection on, on my why, I think it comes from just such a great educational experience that I wanna seek and work really hard to give that to others. Um, and that includes, you know, access to play, um, because I know how important that is. Yeah. Um, you know, that felt safety that you were talking about, that you felt safe in that environment. Mm -hmm. And when we think about where kids are today, a lot of times they don't feel safe at home or in, mm -hmm. in and around the areas that they live mm -hmm. or parents aren't home and they, and I'm talking small, you know, younger kids, but Mm -hmm. They really don't have the exposure to the outdoors at home because either parents aren't home or it's unsafe to be outside at their home place. Um, and so I know, I know that part of what you've talked about, not only from your own experiences, but now that you're an adult and a parent and a, an educator, mm -hmm. um, you know, you want the same for the kids in a school mm -hmm. setting or at a home experience, mm -hmm. but you've done a lot around advocacy and um, working with schools and with parents in your journey. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how that came about from political science to education and then <laughs> moved <Yeah>. into <laughs> advocacy world, right? Which I yeah. think is political science talking, right? It, I it, think it's, so. It's coming out. It's coming out. <laughs> I think so. And it's funny how our worlds sort of converge, right, with our own experiences. I always think, well, how did I end up here? And then I look back and I realize, well, it's obvious how I ended up here. I just didn't know where I was going. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, I absolutely, as I started my advocacy on recess, and I'll, I'll, back up here in just a minute. But um, as I started this work, I definitely had a light bulb moment. And I went, oh, wow, this is it. I always wondered when I would use my political science degree and not my education <laughs> experience. And I went, this is it right now. I've been waiting, you know, 20 years. Um, but a lot of this came about. So let me think how I can, uh, how I can kind of frame this. Our family relocated from Northern California to Louisiana with my husband's job. And my kids were very young at the time, I think only not even two and five. Um, and so we were looking at preschools and we found a great uh, play-based preschool for, for our kids. And I learned more from them than I think my kid, I mean, my kids learned a ton, but I think for, for me as a family, it was an incredible learning experience. We didn't actually start out looking for a play-based preschool. We just heard that there was this great school and that kids were having fun and we moved. And so we, that's what we wanted for our kids. And um, coming from an elementary teacher background, my focus and training and experience was all on, you know, teaching reading, teaching math, teaching social stuff, teaching te very explicit direct instruction. 
So we move and my kids are in this play-based preschool and I'm not really seeing that direct instruction happening. And I'm kind of like, hmm, is this the right place? And are my kids going to fall behind? And are they learning? And I'm somewhat embarrassed to even admit that now because, you know, when we know better, we do better. But um, being formally trained in teaching all of these topics, that, that was admittedly my concern. So uh, the school was very gracious with me and um, <laughs> kindly educated me on their values and principles around play. And of course, I bought in fully once I understood um, and and so much so that a year or two later, they actually asked me to teach part time for them. So I had the opportunity to teach part time in their middle school um, where I had great freedom to teach my history class using a lot of hands on activities. Um, and, and that was really, really exciting. So then fast forward a couple years later, we moved to Texas again with relocation. And um, by then my oldest son was in second grade, just finishing up second grade. And he, I, I could tell that the school that he was at was, it was a good school. It was kind of for higher achieving kids, but I was sensing that all was not well. Um, and of course I, I have my mom heart on and my teacher hat on. And sometimes these, these feelings don't always flow. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so come to find out that they're in school, it was over seven hours, seven hours and 35 minutes. It, it, you all have a long school day in oh, Texas. Yeah, we do. We do. And for these little ones and, oh, and it's full day kindergarten, which I knew my other son was going to be moving up from preschool to kindergarten. And, and so that was going to be a full day. So I, I knew that they were having long days and my son at the time was in second grade. And he said, mom, we only have about 15 minutes for recess, but you know, so-and-so is always talking and then we have to sit on the bench or we have to put our heads down or we can't go out, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so really, by the time they get outside, they're having 12 minutes for recess, give or take. So I really struggled with that because I understood as a teacher um, where recess had a role in their classroom management. Um, and again, when we know better, we do better. Um, and admittedly, when I was teaching elementary school, I had withheld recess on a number of occasions from children who I just felt like mm -hmm. <laughs> enough, you know, in recess, you feel like as a teacher is your only lever. And I think that that's a bigger part of, of, of a conversation we can have too, right? Because that comes around yep. teacher education. But for me as a mom, I really leaned into this feeling that my child went to school all day as a seven-year-old. And he only had access to about 12 to 15 minutes of outdoor play. And my heart just sunk. And so for me, that was kind of a turning point where I had to decide what to do. Um, and, and not only what, I knew what I needed to do, but how I needed to do that, I think, was, was a lot more of a struggle than I realized at the time, because it's not easy right? It's not easy, yeah. especially when I'm coming at it from a place as a former educator and being in my school, my previous elementary school for many years, um, I had a voice at the table. I was on committees and I was a teacher on special assignment. I was working in our office as a school administrator a couple of days a week. So I, I guess I, you know, had some authority or an opportunity to have my voice heard. 
and and coming out of this new situation in a new state in a new school nobody knew who I was I was you know every other parent walking in and out that door who has a a conversation that wanted to take place and so I was used to having an opportunity to have my voice heard and so I had to come at it from a little bit of a different different angle and I learned a lot that's for sure (laughs) wow yeah so you know coming into Texas definitely longer school day um, you know and now we have the pre-k programs that can go half a day or a full day Mm -hmm. and um, it's free through public school education, which, you know, you and I both are proponents of public school and really want public schools to thrive. Um, Mm -hmm. And so seeing children having to go all day and may not get naps, may not get, they may get snacks, but it may be around something they're doing. They don't get time to just have a snack and just sit and, and socialize with others. Right. So time to socialize is being minimized and Mm -hmm. time indoors is being maximized. Um, And in Texas, you know, even if we look at the required minutes, we're talking about five and a half to six hours of just required minutes daily that have to be done, which I think could be blended minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Recess towards content and Mm -hmm. content is if it's blended, you're doing math through science yep. or science through reading or reading through or writing, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but we don't look at it that way. We look at it as isolated areas. So talk to me a little bit more about your struggles and then what you did to try to help in Texas. Yeah. So I, I definitely admit that I probably learned more from this experience about what not to do <laughs> than what to do. Um, again, kind of just being humble. I think that I, I let my mom heart kind of, uh, take over more than my, my logical part of my brain. But when it's your own child coming home every day that you're very, you know, I I was concerned, I was considering pulling them out of the school and, you know, then I find out this is all across the district. Anyway, so I, I was actually probably in a pretty good situation where we were get we were getting a new principal the following year, and, and that's not to say the old principal wasn't fine. I don't actually know her because we our family was so new. I, I don't think I met her, but um, but I, I had some awareness of our new principal coming in because she was the assistant principal, and a lot of people were saying good things about her. So I thought this is a great opportunity. <laughs> to go and talk to her while she's new. Let's put this on her radar before she gets too busy. So um, I had spent a couple of maybe probably two months just researching as much as I could. I wasn't an expert in recess. You know, recess to me as a former teacher was just a time in my day I had to send my kids, my students outside uh, to go run off some energy. And as a teacher, you know, I could have a snack or use the restroom or whatever, but I never gave much thought to recess as a teacher. And when I look back, I think, wow, isn't that, it was a missed opportunity for me, certainly. But um, so I did an incredible amount of research and that was, you know, I came upon a lot of your research and other people's who I now admire. And, um, you know, I thought I would be helpful and I put it all, I printed it all out and I put it all in a binder. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, you know, just like any good teacher would, I put tabs in it and dividers and I made it look good. <laughs> and, and I was going to be helpful to this new principal and I was going to bring it to her <laughs> and share it with her. And you can tell, I'm sure by my laughing now, what a silly thought that was, but she was so gracious and, you know, just, she was so great and she, she was willing to listen mm -hmm. and she kept my binder because of course I brought an extra one for her <laughs> <laughs> and, and put a spine label on it, you know, in case she needed to reach it for easy access. As all good educators do, right? <laughs> we, we are organized to a fault. <laughs> and so, but but in, you know, to her credit, um, she really did, I think, kind of skim through what I had shared. And like any good principal, she, she didn't make a decision on the spot. She got some feedback from her teachers. And when she brought it to her teacher, she had, I think it was the second grade team who said, you know what, we want to try something new. We believe that kids do need more recess and we are willing to, to give a second recess. So I think that they did two 15 minutes, they did a lunch recess and then I think they did a morning recess, <clears throat> which um, as a former elementary school, that was what schedule I was used to. We always had a morning break and then a lunch recess. And so I thought, well, great, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna flip this school upside down and we're gonna have two recesses and everything's just gonna be great. And that wasn't quite how it worked, but I remember I was actually in Colorado visiting a family member and I got a call from the principal and she said, hey, I wanted to share some good news. She shared with me that the second grade team was going to adopt this new schedule. And I said, well, this is fantastic and thank you so much. Um, and I said, you know, as exciting as it is, I can't help but feel a little bit disappointing because now my own son is in third grade. Mm. And so the second graders were getting more recess, but my own child was not. Mm -hmm. um, and so she understood and she said, you know, let's just start here and, and see how it goes and get some feedback. Fast forward, eventually the second and third grade teams said great things. And, you know, um, I think a huge credit to this being willing to try was should go to this principal. Um, Mrs. Carnett, I think she's still at that school. Um, and then also to the teachers who, one of them pulled me aside in the hallway and she said, um, you know, thank you. She said, we really feel like our kids needed more recess. And she put her, her two hands to her chest, you know, over her heart. And she said, and honestly, I think we needed a break. We needed a recess. So I really appreciated that that teacher was willing to, to say thank you and, and to be honest about that and to be willing to try. Um, and then the following year, I think the, the fourth grade team added on. So that was great because, of course, my son was in fourth grade. And I couldn't help but wonder if that had anything to do with it. But I didn't care because all the kids were benefiting. Yeah. And the year my younger son went into first grade at that school, um, the first grade teachers, I couldn't believe it. I almost cried. They were trying three 15 minute recesses per day, just for the first grade. And if I recall right, this was a couple of years ago, but they had three first grade teachers and I checked in with them and two of them were really, really appreciative and liked the, and one of them kind of had some hesitations. I think she was having some concerns around transitions and kind of getting kids settled mm -hmm. again. Um, the, the 
fifth and the sixth grade teachers never came on board. Um, they're, they're, they really kind of dug their heels in, if I remember right, and, and said that they had too much to teach before the STAR test and that they couldn't give up their time. So that was yeah. pretty disappointing. You know, you've said two or three things that I battle on a regular basis. Um, but one of them is I was surprised that it started with second grade when some of the easiest changes to make would be grades pre-K, K, and one, mm-hmm. right? That the starting with the young grades, if they're going to do second, they might as well do the earlier grades because those kids would then have the f- familiarity with it as they went into second grade. Second grade teachers have even less to have to worry about because they already know how to do recess, right? For more than mm-hmm. one time. Right. But it's interesting how it, it started with kind of the middle of the pack instead of the beginning of the pack, which I, I don't know if you have feelings about that, but uh, I'm glad it, it started somewhere. I'm, I'm right. glad. But- yeah, I think that that goes back to really um, having, it kind of goes back to the, what is the makeup of your grade level teams, right? And that yeah. those particular teachers were, they were in, they were all in. Yeah. And they said, yes, we're going to try it. And that school, actually, it's a, a GT school. And so that school started in first grade. Okay. All right. Um, so there was no opportunity younger than first grade. But okay. certainly the, the second grade teachers, and they, they're a good team. I still keep in touch with some of those teachers. And, they, and they're all still, that team is still together? It's a good question. I think that there have been some changes. I think some of the core one of the main core teachers is still there, possibly two. I know one ended up, she's a stay-at-home mom now, but she was, yeah. And uh, first grade did end up coming on board, which is mm-hmm. good. So actually grades one through four yep. ended up doing at least two, right? if not three, mm-hmm. like your first grade group. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly that you brought up transition because that does seem to be one of the sticking points. And one of the things that I train on all the time, just because back in your and my day in play, schools were built differently. So it was more like a motel instead of a hotel, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. So every classroom had an outside door that went to the playground. Whereas now everybody has built in, even if it's an old school, mm-hmm. they've built around it so that it encompasses the classrooms, they're now walls, and the only way to get out is to go down a hallway and exit a space. Mm-hmm. And for younger kids, they may be the furthest away, depending on where they were located to begin with. Right. And your older kids may be close by, or if it's a two-story building, the older kids may be upstairs, and they've got to get downstairs and out the door. You know, there's always logistical things, right? But back when we were, when we were teaching early on, mm-hmm. or when schools still didn't consider safety a problem, mm-hmm. you just went right out your doors and you were at recess. And, and so no fault to the teachers or the principals, but we didn't, we didn't train teachers differently about transitions when we had these indoor spaces that had to walk so far. So, right. Yeah. I, I see where, you know, that's definite problem and why I address it 
in most schools now to try to really tighten up the transition out and back in. Um, you know, you've, you did some things in that school district that I think were very positive things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, at the same time that I was kind of working with this one school, of course, that was the school that my kids were at. Um, I was also, uh, reaching out to school board members, um, to the extent possible, a phone call meeting after school, any opportunity that I would get over the course of about two years, I were, I had a chance to meet either individually or with partners, uh, pair, school board pairs multiple times to talk with them about the research, kind of what I was seeing, the why behind all of this. Um, and, and to give Midland, uh, their credit, their school board was very open and willing to hearing this conversation. Um, they never ended up putting it to a vote, which was always my plan. So that would be the one thing that I, I kind of look back and I think if, if I could have done one thing, I would have probably pushed a little bit harder to say, if you believe in this, put this to a vote. But um, what I was able to do as a result of building those relationships with the school board members is I was appointed to the shack the Student Health Advisory Council. And there I led a subcommittee. Our, our committee chair member was very supportive and she said, you know, I believe in this work and this is ab absolutely where we need to be spending our time. And so she had me chair a subcommittee and we researched and looked at different policies all over the states of school districts. And, and we pulled everything together and we presented to our school board. This was of course a year's worth of work, maybe a little more, probably a year and a half. And we proposed a uh, sound policy that was modeled after kind of the best parts that we could find relevant to our district um, that I could pull from all across Texas. And essentially what we were asking for, we, we were recommending a minimum of 30 minutes of play every day, but really what we were wanting was that just the school district make a policy. <laughs> um, yeah. And that way, because we wanted something in, in writing. Yeah. Um, we never got an official in writing policy, but I think I think it was just luck of timing, but one of the school board meetings where I presented, I had the opportunity to, I had about 20 minutes to present, which I'm forever thankful that the school board gave me that because it was really, you know, it was not your two minute public comment. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. It was a long time. And, and it allowed me to share the depth of the research. Um, and present a policy. Um, and one of the meetings that I was there, I think that they were doing some awards or something, but we had a whole boardroom full of principals. And so it was fantastic. And so some of the principals heard, you know, our presentation. And I, I, I don't know their thinking. I never followed up. I believe there were 26 principals at the time. And after a couple of months and after talking with the school board and, and of course the school district and the superintendent and the executive directors of education. I mean, this was a huge lift. Um, we were able to get some data from our district where they asked principals to send them their current schedules and re recess schedule and 24 out of 26 of the elementary schools had increased their access to recess from, I want to say it was the 20. 2017-18 school year to the 18-19 school year. Um, wow. And yeah, and so I feel like as, you know, as 
I, that's where I hang my hat. That's the exciting yeah. part is that 24 out of 26 principals believed in this and we never got an official policy from the district, but it didn't matter because they had the authority that they needed to, to change their schedule and, and they did it. So I'm really excited about that. That is awesome. And, and something you should be very proud of that you were able to hang your hat on that. Well, Summer, I, I think this is a good place to say, um, you know, we've had a great conversation about things that you've done and the journey that you've had and hanging your hat on a positive note. This is a great, great way to end it, but thanks for coming on today. And, um, I'll have you back on to talk about some other things related to relationships with schools and, you know, those changes in being a parent versus an educator and ways that we can be advocates as we move out there. So thanks for being on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me and thanks for all that you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. All right. And as always, take care, have a great week and play often. This podcast was brought to you by the Link Center for Healthy Play at Texas Christian University. To learn more about the Link Center and the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at www.linkproject.tcu.edu.